This is a long pause. It's live now. It's live? <laughs> oh, my yeah. phone still says off air. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. As you can tell, it's a uh, my, my button just went live now. So uh, I am actually on location here using hotel Wi-Fi. So pardon the, uh, the big pause there. I, I apologize for that. But we are the Carolina Weather Group. Welcome to the uh, – Wednesday, March the 15th edition. We have John Jensenius on with us tonight. It's kind of the lightning expert. In fact, John's so popular. We had to book this show about eight months ago. So uh, we've really been bo- uh, really been looking forward to having John on with us. Uh, so we're excited to, ha- to have John on. We're just going to talk a lot about lightning and lightning safety and um, just all the effects of that. But before we do that, uh, we do want to go around to our panel, and we're even going to include John with this because he was uh, affected by the uh, the winter storm that came through uh, just a few days ago. Um, before we do that, this is a National Podcast uh, what, National Weather Podcast Month, uh, so we want to welcome all those who uh, may be joining us this evening. Uh, we appreciate you guys joining us. I think this is our uh, third week um, out of five here in March, so welcome to everyone who uh, may be uh, new to the Carolina Web Group. I promise you, we're not as straggly as we are tonight. Uh, we're normally on a type ship, uh, so we appreciate uh, you guys joining us. And uh, live broadcast, so if you have any questions for us tonight, uh, please feel free to send them to us on our Twitter pages or our Facebook page, and uh, we'll definitely go throughout the night. So now, I want to toss it over to... Uh, I'm going to toss it to Peter and John first because they are affected uh, <laughs> most recently by the uh, the big snowstorm, ice storm, uh, rainstorm, wherever you live there on the East Coast. Uh, they got a little bit of everything. So, uh, Peter, we'll, we'll toss it to you first. And uh, I'm glad to see you survived through uh, the mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, – I can't complain about the storm. It was a monster storm uh, that came up the East Coast. But uh, I did not get any snow out of it. It was just a little tiny coating overnight. Uh, and then early yesterday morning changed over to a rain and freezing rain and sleet and everything. Uh, it was pretty crazy, but uh, didn't amount to much. Uh, but there was a lot of accidents and trees down and power outages and everything. So it was pretty nasty storm. And uh, north and west of Philadelphia, though, uh, got a pretty nice amount of snow, about a foot to maybe two feet, some places even three feet. So uh, I don't know what you do with all that snow, but it probably like a reenactment of The Shining or something. I don't know. But um, it, it was pretty <laughs> <laughs> north and west but uh, today i actually got some snow from a short wave that came through uh snowed pretty much all afternoon got a coating to an inch out of that and uh visibility came down and everything so uh i guess winter decided to come back in march for some reason don't know why but what are you going to do about it but uh, we're going to stay cold next couple days and then uh, we're going to warm back up a little bit to the 40s and 50s just still below average but uh, you compare that to the 70s we had, like last month, it's pretty chilly around here. <laughs> Definitely is. And Peter, you know, we all have our, our group chat that we talk to back and forth throughout the week. And um, you were really talking to us about the uncertainty of, of just for you, where you live, about what may fall and what may not fall. And, and it seemed like uh, as we got closer to the event, um, some meteorologists have been thrown under the bus, but uh, it was a difficult forecast for you guys up there because it was, you know, 10 or 15 miles made all the difference. Yep, it sure was. Uh, you know, we didn't know where that rain and snow line was going to go. Some models had it up to Philly, some had it by the coast, and, you know, it decided to come up to Philly uh, yesterday morning. So it was kind of just a guessing game 
And, um, you know, the meteorologists did the best they could, National Weather Service and the TV meteorologists. So uh, you can't predict these things. The models have all different uh, scenarios and opinions and whatever, and you uh, can't really predict until it happens. Yeah, it cer certainly seemed like that low really kind of pushed further west than originally anticipated. So that brought more of a warm nose into the coastline. And you even yeah. had the Gulf, the Gulf Stream eddying just to the south with some of that warmer air there was actually a warm front ahead of it too so there was just boy that was a very very dynamic storm yep definitely to watch all right well let's bring in john uh, john's up in maine so uh john before the show started you was telling us you got a little bit of snow up there yeah yeah well uh i have to say uh i uh peter said that uh winter has made a return i don't think it ever quite left here uh I started out with about uh, 17 inches of snow on the ground before the storm started and uh, uh, ended up getting uh, about another uh, 17 inches of snow with the storm. So uh, when I left to come here this evening, I uh, still had about 30 inches on the ground and it was snowing just a little bit. But uh, yeah, it, it, it certainly every, uh, every one of these storms is a challenge. Uh, there is that rain snow line and what a lot of people don't realize is uh, whether you're in the Carolinas, uh, off the coast of New Jersey, New York, uh, Massachusetts, uh, up through Maine, uh, there's an ocean just to the east, and that ocean is above freezing. And usually with a coastal storm, you get what we call a coastal front, and all that coastal front has to do is bring a little bit of warm air in, and either you uh, have your snow change to uh, sleet or freezing rain, or even rain. And uh, even up here in Maine, uh, that was an issue with the storm. Fortunately, since I love winter, uh, we got a lot of snow. But uh, even along the coast, uh, in uh, places like Bar Harbor, the uh, precipitation did turn, turn to rain. Uh, and that was one of the things that we were concerned about with the storm and uh, actually forecasting uh, slightly lower amounts right along the coast. But uh, it, for us, it was... Uh, uh, not just the snow, but it was the combination of the snow and wind. Uh, we were getting uh, reports of three or four inches of snow per hour, along with wind gusts of uh, 50 to 60 miles an hour right along the coast. So we had blizzard conditions. For me, it was a near whiteout driving home uh, yesterday uh, in the afternoon. And uh, fortunately, a lot of people were off the roads because it was very... Uh, uh, very dangerous because visibilities were near zero. So really, uh, uh, you know, it was quite the storm for us. Uh, but we, our road crews are really great up here. Uh, they can take care of the situation. Uh, we had, uh, uh, by this morning, the roads were uh, plowed. The uh, schools were open, not even a delay. And uh, everyone went to school. So so anyhow, we're, we're kind of used to it. But uh, as I said, I think we'll still have some snow. I'm counting on some snow in my yard up until probably uh, the piles won't go away till sometime in May. Wow. Wow. Speaking of I wind. Go, go ahead, Scott. I was just going to say that, you know, think uh, all the way to May. That That's that's crazy to think that, you know, you still have snow laying around until then. Amazing. No, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's usually in the typical winter, it's usually around the 1st of April that the untouched snow uh, disappears. And then slowly during the month, the piles of snow disappear. But uh, 
this year, with all the snow that we've had, I'm kind of figuring it's going to be into May before we actually see the uh, last of the snow disappear. And by then, you're going wow. to be in the 90s down there. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Go ahead, Shay. I know you guys going to talk about the wind aspect. Oh, the winds. Yeah, the winds were, were wow. I'll tell you, New Jersey, Peter, you guys were getting 50 to 60 mile an hour winds along the coastline there, gusting to the mid-60s. And some of the higher wind speeds I found were up along Massachusetts on the Outer Cape. So Wellfleet, Massachusetts, for example, uh, we had winds clocked into 79 miles per hour yesterday <laughs> afternoon. So, I mean, that was the highest gust. The average was actually up into the mid-60s, around 67 miles per hour. So it was a pretty steady build going up throughout the day. And then, of course, on the way back down. But the winds, you, typically you might see a strong gust here and there. This was more of a solid wind that was building. Um, I tell you, it was, it was just really, really fascinating. That, that site was about 20 feet above ground level where homes were, but the overall site was about 88 feet. So sometimes height can make a little bit of a difference there between about five to 10 miles per hour. So near hurricane force strength winds. And that also added to a little bit of flooding along New Jersey as well. So uh, some one of the charts I looked at, the, the storm surge prediction model, which is experimental, they had a prediction of about a foot over uh, the normal tide. Well, the flooding actually, the surge actually went about a foot and a half over that. So it was a foot and a half over the over. So that's always a concern. But yeah, I mean, definitely watching that low, the dynamics from it, it was uh, just fascinating. I think my internet just came back on my computer. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I had it uh, I had it pulled up still. Yeah. So. Shay, I'll... Uh, out right quick. I'll let you talk about Charleston and I'll, I'll rejoin you in just a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem, Scotty. Um, well, one other tidbit that we noticed from that weather station in Wellfleet as well, uh, the pressure dropped about 50 millibars within an 18-hour period. So that was expensive, what we call bombing out or bombogenesis of, uh, of low pressures up that way. So that was another fascinating point. As far as Charleston goes, we were having some great weather, record-breaking high temperatures, and then it came to a crashing halt as of the last couple of days. So we, we've had some pretty cool weather settle back in, another taste of winter, hopefully it's last breath. And we had our first freezing temperatures early this morning, just before sunrise, we hit 32 degrees for the first time since January the 10th. And we're looking at freeze warnings all the way to the coastline tonight again. So uh, if, if there's folks out there that have planted uh, their crops, I, I wish them the best, but yeah, we can never, turn our back on the month of March. There's always, there's usually always something that happens in March until we get it at least into the first week of April. So yeah. that's what we're looking for. We we're, I think we're going to warm back up to about 80 degrees by Tuesday. So we have a steady warming phase and we have a little bit of a cool down and then warm back up to 80 degrees. So we'll see what happens. I, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, We'll be laying on the beach before long, right? <laughs> Yeah, I know. From from my perspective, it was uh, five below on Sunday morning when I went out for a walk. So I don't uh, I don't feel too I, I don't feel too sorry for the view that it was below freezing. I do feel sorry for whatever plants were out there. But uh, but anyhow, uh, as far as the plants right now, they're buried under uh, a couple feet of snow up here. Wow. And I I know. Um... You know, where I live back in Western North Carolina and the upstate of South Carolina, 
a lot of the farmers this evening um, were supposed to get into the mid to upper upper teens, and a lot of the uh, the peach trees have already bloomed and is starting to bloom, and some of the apple trees. So I know that's the um, big concern, especially in the upstate, is is the chance of, of those guys maybe losing you know half to three fourths of their crops, and uh, you know with, with the early warm season, um, that's definitely a big concern for. For the folks there, so I'm um, hoping that uh, they can definitely protect the plants as much as they can, so they don't lose uh, all of their all of their crops. I know that's uh, a, a big a big thing, especially in the upstate. There's a lot of uh, peach farms, so uh, you know a lot of people on, on the uh, edge of their seats tonight, looking at the uh, the cold temperatures. So um, I'm assuming you guys can hear me, right? We're good. Yep, you're good. You're good. Well, let's bring in John tonight. John, uh, we appreciate you coming on. Um, thankful uh, for the opportunity to speak with you. You are really uh, the Latinx expert. So uh, uh, you've done a lot of research and, and you bring a, a lot of good data from year to year. So uh, we want to uh, thank you for coming on tonight. And uh, well, since you're a first time guest, uh, we always normally uh, let our guests kind of uh, get up acclimated to to our followers and, and kind of tell us about your background maybe your career in weather and and how you got to, to what you're doing right now okay well um, like like most meteorologists uh, as a child I always enjoyed the weather uh, uh, similar to the way I am now I have always enjoyed snowstorms and as a child I remember rushing out every hour or so to measure how much snow we'd have uh, in a new snowstorm so that, uh, that was kind of where I started. And then uh, I did, uh, of course, I, I go to college. I went to uh, Millersville University in Pennsylvania for my undergraduate degree. Uh, went to Penn State uh, for my graduate degree. And then uh, from there, I taught for a year at the uh, State University of New York at Oneonta. I taught synoptic meteorology, climatology, and uh, just the beginning courses of meteorology for non-majors. Uh, then I went to the, uh, uh, to the National Weather Service's Techniques Development Laboratory. For those of you that are familiar with some of the statistical forecasts, the forecasts that are called uh, MOS forecasts, which stands out for Model Output Statistics, I spent uh, about 17 and a half years uh, developing uh, different products, different MOS forecasts, uh, which were sent out to meteorologists all over the country. Uh, I also uh, did a couple things on the sides. One of the things that I did was uh, I, I worked with the, uh, some of the modelers and trying to look at the data. Whenever we'd have a bad MOS forecast, we'd try and figure out uh, exactly why it was bad. So I started looking in detail in the data. and one of the things that I realized is it was really good data to look at. And I thought, well, you know, I ought to try and get some of this data out to uh, other meteorologists so they can use it as well. So uh, I started something that uh, trying to get some of the model forecast uh, vertical data out to the uh, to other forecasters around the country. And, and that has grown with time to what most people recognize as or, or call bucket data. Uh, so, um, so anyhow, the, uh, the buffkit data that uh, people use, uh, which is allowing people to look at forecasts in the vertical over time, is something that I initiated long ago. And then uh, after 17 and a half years, 
I moved up to the great state of Maine as the warning coordination meteorologist here at the National Weather Service office in Gray. And part of my responsibilities here is trying to make sure uh, people are safe. And one of the thing that I things that I recognized was the fact that uh, we had a lot of lightning fatalities per capita. So uh, it seemed like, uh, you know, we don't get nearly as much lightning as other parts of the country. And I thought, well, we ought to try and run an awareness campaign. So I uh, asked a, a friend of mine, uh, Ron Holly, who had done a lot of work with lightning safety uh, to join me. We did a week long uh, campaign here in the state of Maine. And uh, during that campaign, I said, you know, we need to broaden this out and uh, take it uh, to the whole country and have a national campaign. And that's kind of what got the whole thing started is uh, uh, two years later, we had the first National Lightning Safety Awareness Week and uh, we developed the uh, National Weather Service Lightning Safety uh, website. And since then, uh, we've had Dr. Marianne Cooper, uh, Bill Roeder, uh, as uh, some of the main contributors over time. So uh, it's kind of been an outgrowth and uh, uh, in doing all this, I kind of became the specialist for the National Weather Service on lightning safety and have done uh, many different interviews on the topic. So I enjoy talking about lightning safety. My primary reason for doing so is just to keep people safe. Know, well, John, Scotty, go ahead, yeah, Scotty. Yeah, I was going to uh, yeah, I was going to say, John, you know, that that's one thing, especially here in the South. Um, you know, we, we see a lot of, unfortunately, lightning fatalities. Um, before we talk kind of about that, um, let's go kind of basic for our, our followers and our uh, folks who are listening tonight on the podcast or, or maybe listening on the rebroadcast. Um, you know, we have a variety of people, people who are just interested in weather, and, and then we have our weather weenies is what we call them. So for those who may not know about lightning, talk to us uh, a little bit how it starts. Um, you know, what are the conditions that we need to have to, to get lightning? Because not every, every rain shower or something like that in the summertime produces lightning. Well, uh, yeah, sure. The, uh, the, the primary thing you need, of course, is a, a, what we call a thunderstorm because the thunderstorm is defined as having lightning. But in order to get that thunderstorm, uh, in order to get any cloud, you need rising air. And as that air rises, it cools, then you get precipitation that forms within the, uh, within the cloud. If the conditions are uh, right, the cloud will grow vertically. Uh, it will develop uh, into what we call a thunderstorm cloud. It will have an anvil. Now, the actual charging mechanism, because we have to get the thunderstorm charged, occurs in the central part of the storm where you have various types of precipitation particles. You have uh, little ice crystals, uh, which you can think of as very, very tiny snowflakes. And we also have something called grapple, which is like a little pellet of snow, again, fairly small. Because the pellets are more dense, they tend to either fall or be suspended, whereas the little flakes are carried upward by that, that uh, what we call the updraft, the air moving upward in the storm. And because of those, uh, the, the fact that one is suspended or falling and the other is going up, you have collisions. Those collisions allow for a separation of charges. So in, in the general sense, uh, the positive charges are carried on the ice crystals up to the top of the storm. 
the uh, negative charges uh, fall toward the ground or suspended in the uh, in the grapple. So that's your main charging mechanism. Now, in order to get the uh, an actual lightning, uh, a flash of lightning, you have to have a differential between the ground and the cloud. And basically, what happens is that negative charge that builds up in the central part of the storm. Uh, uh, chases away the positives on or the negative charge on the ground. It repels the uh, uh, negative charge on the ground underneath so the, the ground becomes positively charged. And that's the difference. And it starts out as something we call a step leader. The step leader moves toward the ground. Uh, it just kind of, and I, when I say it moves slowly toward the ground, it's not really go, going uh, very slowly. It's uh, about uh, 300,000. Uh, miles per hour toward the ground, and when it approaches the ground, uh, you get uh, opposite charge reaching up to meet it. When they connect, then you have the flow of electricity. The flow of electricity, which is negative charge, goes from uh, that channel, which is basically in the cloud, right to the ground. So the charges are going from cloud to ground. However, uh, the flash, which is uh, really photons that we see, uh, actually go up through the channel as the discharge reaches higher and higher levels in the cloud. So a lot of people will ask, does lightning go up or does it go down? And the answer is, well, it depends exactly what you're talking about. If you're talking about the charge, it's coming down. If you're talking about the, uh, the actual uh, flash, it's going up. And that's, that's your typical flash. There are various different types of flashes, but that's just kind of a quick outline of what happens in a thunderstorm. And John, is it true that the heat from a bolt of lightning is hotter than the surface of the sun? Yeah, uh, it can be, and not all of them, but it can be as hot as 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's really uh, when electricity goes through any objects, it, it uh, faces what we call resistance. Uh, anytime you have resistance in an object, it generates heat. So air, which is not a very good conductor, is very resistant to electricity flowing through it. So it does heat up the air quite a bit. And as I said, in some cases, 50,000 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. If, uh, if it goes through a wire, it's probably not going to heat it up, heat it up nearly as much. Or if a steel beam or a flagpole, uh, you're not going to see that kind of heat uh, in the pole itself, but it may be in the air right above the pole. And John, you were talking about how, how lightning is formed. and. Um Tell our viewers and our listeners about the different types of lightning that we see. Well, uh, it, to me, all lightning is a flow of electricity. So uh, there could be cloud-to-ground lightning, which is basically between the cloud and the ground, and that's going between the negative charge in the central part of the storm and the positive charge in the ground. There can be in-cloud lightning, which typically is going between uh, positive charges uh, near the top of the storm and negative charges in the middle, or because there's a lot of mixing that goes on, there's a lot of uh, there's updrafts, downdrafts. It just can be a different part of the cloud that has a different charge, and we just call that uh, in-cloud lightning. Occasionally, you can have cloud-to-cloud -cloud lightning where it goes from one cloud to another. But those are the three basic types that we see. Uh, uh, again, and in that, then you can have opposite charges. You can have uh, uh, char lightning that goes from the top of the cloud to the positive charge to negative charge on the ground. 
And you can also have lightning that's initiated from the ground from a tower that literally just reaches upward. So quite a variety of different types of lightning that you can see. But the main one is what we call the, the negative flash, which is uh, negative charge in the central part of the storm connecting with positive charge on the ground. So, so I have one follow-up here, and this is kind of a funny question because we in the Weather Enterprise know the answer to this. But one, uh, but, but a lot of folks, especially here in the South, I don't know what it is, and it may be like that um, countrywide. I, I'm not sure, but uh, people always are talking about heat lightning. So, can you dispel the uh, the truth about what heat lightning really is, and and uh, how it's not not really a thing at all? <laughs> well, sure. Uh... And I'm going to uh, let me just try and throw a bit of a animation on here. Let's see if this will work. Um, give me a second. Looking for the screen share. Yeah, I think I got it here. There you go. There we go. So a little bit of heat lightning. Uh, all that really is is a thunderstorm that's off in the distance. So when you're seeing that, you're either seeing uh, just uh, lightning itself way off in the distance or just reflecting off the cloud tops. Uh, it's really just a thunderstorm. There's no difference between uh, uh, heat lightning and any other thunderstorm. It's just that it's farther away. And the big difference is it's just so far away you can't hear the thunder. And that's why we, uh, that's why we call it heat lightning. So speaking of thunder, what causes the sound of thunder? Well, thunder is, uh, is caused by the uh, expansion and contraction of the uh, air. Uh, and initially, it causes the heat that uh, we talked about, the 50,000 degrees. Um, it, it causes the air to expand. And then as it cools, it contracts rapidly. So. Um, so that expansion and contraction causes a shock wave, which as it expands outward becomes a sound wave, a loud sound wave. And a lot of times you can tell just how far away the lightning is uh, by counting the number of seconds. So for every five seconds, it means that the lightning is a mile away. So if uh, you see a flash of lightning, you count to 20, you divide by five, and that'll tell you that the lightning was four miles away. Now, important to remember, it doesn't tell you how far away the next lightning is going to be. And if you can hear the sound of thunder, you're within 10 miles of a thunderstorm, and you're really in danger at that point. You need to get inside. And that's, uh, we have a very simple saying, when thunder roars, go indoors. And the reason for that is if you're hearing thunder, you're within striking distance of the storm and need to get inside right away. And that's a that's a good reminder, um, John. That that's something that uh, when I'm out doing school presentations, you know, that is one uh, one saying that we tell the kids, especially you know, when you hear that thunder, um, you know, you need to come on indoors. But there's also been a, a fairly new campaign about those who uh, who may be deaf or hard of hearing, and and that one is um, see a dash run inside or, or something along those lines. See, see a flash and dash. That's or, it. Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah so and talk talk to us about those campaigns and and the outreach that you guys do each year. Uh, I'm speaking to different groups. Uh, you know, those simple sayings say so much uh, to us in the weather community. 
Yeah, and we uh, when we started that that the especially the uh, when Thunder Roars go indoors is something that uh, Bill Roeder came up with. Uh, great rhyme. We have it on many of our uh, many of our campaign things, and it's very simple for kids to remember. A lot of kids have heard it in school now. Uh, we're getting the word out. Uh, we really want just to uh, start young so that we can get the information uh, out to people so they understand early in life and they carry that forward with them. All right, and John, I think you're screen sharing or are you wanting to? Yeah, I I've been trying to unshare, but I'm, they, uh, I've got a blue line or green line that says you're screen sharing. And try uh, the bottom, see if it's at the bottom of the screen. Sometimes there's a little box down there. I am not seeing anything at the bottom. Okay. We'll just Shay, we'll keep we'll keep going. Go ahead, Scotty. Yeah, I was gonna say, Shay, you might could do the stop share button. I don't know if that'll that'll work as well. Yeah, I I did the stop presenting okay. for it, but uh, we can we can just keep on talking, and I'm sure there should be a, a button that says stop screen share on the bottom, either the bottom or the top. So we covered what types of lightning there were, how it forms. There we go. Got it. Got it fixed. Okay. Oh, did I get it fixed? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. Actually, it was the little green arrow in the corner that did it. There you uh, go. Okay. Well, now that we've talked about the basics of lightning, let's move into what you do. You, you're sort of like the steward for information for where there's incidents uh, and fatalities in lightning. And, and talk a little bit about uh, that. The places I see the most fatalities or incidents with lightning where folks get struck and maybe some safety measures on how to how to avoid that from happening. Yeah, the uh, the, the main thing that uh, we're concerned about is uh, people being outdoors. So one of the things that I do is uh, uh, I keep track of all the lightning fatalities in the uh, United States. Uh, I monitor, I have various alerts set up to let me know when there's a news story that has combinations of words that would lead me to believe somebody was uh, either uh, struck by lightning or struck and killed by lightning. And I follow up on those news uh, stories. Uh, and basically what we're doing is we're just uh, keeping an online list of, uh, of uh, people that have been killed. And the reason for that is really so we can learn more about what they were doing so we know uh, what we should be targeting as far as our information. So uh, in the case of, uh, and there's a good example of it, that's uh, the uh, lightning fatality list from last year. You'll notice, uh, first thing I should point out on that is that you'll notice blue and uh, pink. Uh, the blue is uh, males and the uh, pink is females. And uh, you might notice there's a lot more blue than there is pink in that. Uh, and the reason for that is that uh, Men take take more chances than women, and you'll see on that list. Uh, uh, if you look at the uh, section at the top that's labeled activity, you'll see people are doing a whole variety of activities. Uh, you know, everything from uh, working in the yard, riding a horse, loading a truck, uh, just standing outside with a dog or taking a dog for a walk. Uh, and over time. And I've looked at this for a period of uh, 11 years now that I've been keeping track. Uh, the number one uh, reason that people are struck, or the number one thing that leads to people being struck, 
is fishing. A uh, couple reasons for that, uh, I suspect, is uh, first of all, if you are out fishing, uh, chances are you're out in the water or on the shore. In either case, you're probably uh, fairly exposed, either uh, right next to a tree or ex exposed to the possibility of being struck by lightning. You might be out on the water. That, of course, makes it more dangerous. The other factor is that uh, you're probably, it's going to take you some time to get to safety. And if you don't start soon enough, even if you, uh, uh, you know, anytime you wait at all, it just adds to the time you're going to need to get to safety. And we have people that are, that may have been in their boat and they're getting in, uh, heading to shore and get struck once they get on shore. And then as you can see, we have a map of the fatalities uh, uh, across the U.S. I keep track of those. And uh, that's the uh, map for 2016. Ron Holly actually does a compilation of that uh, uh, map so that we see 10-year average of that. And then we keep all the statistics such as uh, I mentioned before, the, uh, the uh, gender. Uh, you can see this past year, 76% were male, 24% were female. Usually it's around 80-20. Uh, and then we look at the age groups. Uh, those age groups uh, typically anywhere from 20 to about 60 is where we see the most fatalities. And you can see that kind of matches up with what we saw last year. And as far as days of the week, uh, and you might have guessed this, is that uh, typically the days that see the most fatalities are Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, just because people are outside. So we keep track of them. We know about where we are. If you look at the uh, by-month graph, uh, just seeing, uh, you know, where we are throughout the year, and I, I pass that information along. And then finally, uh, scrolling down a little bit, you can see the uh, kind of the last uh, 10, 11 years of fatalities. And you get some sense, again, uh, with that graph, there's, uh, there's an awful lot of blue on that graph. So those are the things I do. And I, I also, uh, I, I put this out to the media, and I do a lot of interviews with the media. Uh, just trying to uh, provide safety information and let people know because prior to the time we started this campaign, uh, you'd have a death here, a death there, but people wouldn't hear about it. And a part of the effort is to make sure that people hear about it when people die because that will let them know that lightning is dangerous. Now, John, looking at this, this lightning fatalities from 2006-16, you can see the downward trend from when you started this product and, and coming down into 2013, it looks like maybe lightning safety awareness was was helping out and uh, folks were paying more attention to weather. Do you think that there's any sort of anomaly sort of in, in 2016 that um, why that there was more? Well, I'm, I'm hoping it's just an anomaly. Uh, I'm hoping it's not a, a trend that we're going to see more again. I know in uh, the first several years we we put a lot of effort uh, into getting the word out, and uh, with that campaign, uh, the media carried a lot of stories on it. Um, lately, though, you know, when you're dealing with the media, they, uh, an awareness campaign isn't really a good story, and uh, so I'm hoping that uh, this is not just because the uh, attention to the threat has uh, perhaps diminished a little bit, but as I said, I'm hoping it's an anomaly for uh, last year. But, uh, you know, the way we'll find out is just watching it over the next several years. But uh, I'm, 
I'm hoping that everyone will do their best to try and uh, keep every keep people safe, and we'll get those numbers down again. And uh, Peter, I think you had a question there, um, kind of following up with the safety. Yeah, uh, we always hear about you know going to your car or staying in your house when there's lightning. Uh, where do you think the safest place to be is when uh, when there's a thunderstorm? Well, uh, number one, I would pick a, a, your house uh, or a substantial building. Uh, an office building is fine. Uh, that would be my number one choice. But there are things you have to do that are uh, once you're in there, and I'll talk about those in a minute. Uh, a, a good second choice is a hardtop metal vehicle. Just get inside. The vehicle may get struck, and we do see vehicles getting struck every year. A lot of times the uh, tires get blown out. Uh, because of the electronics, the engines usually stop, but the people inside are safe. Uh, so uh, if you are in your house, you just want to stay away from anything that would conduct electricity. Anything that plugs into the wall is a conductor. So uh, if you're in your home, there's a thunderstorm. Uh, you don't want to be uh, washing dishes because uh, plumbing can conduct electricity. Uh, you don't want to be on a corded phone. I know not many people have corded phones, but some people still do. Uh, and uh, as I said, uh, you don't want to be on a laptop that plugs into the wall, a computer that plugs into the wall, any electronic device uh, uh, that plugs into the wall. You just don't want to be connected to it. So I'm a big proponent for not taking showers or not have two children. I don't like them taking baths during thunderstorms either. So my wife, I have to tell her, look, there's a thunderstorm coming. Probably not a good idea right now. Is that something you would concur with? Oh, yes. Yes. Any time you're dealing with the plumbing. So uh, of, of the injuries I've seen inside, more often than not, people are in the kitchen washing dishes. But uh, occasionally you'll see a story about somebody that was in the shower uh, in the tub or just washing their hands. So. Uh, yeah, any plumbing, uh, you, you have a combination of the water, the metal pipes. Uh, one, one area that we did see quite a few people being injured a few years ago was uh, with laundry. Uh, with the laundry, you have not just the plumbing, but you have the electricity too. So um, it's really the, you know, I tell people it's a good time to sit on the couch and read a book if you don't like thunderstorms. If you do like thunderstorms, sit on the couch some distance from the window and watch the thunderstorm. So tell us a little bit about where one would go if they're outdoors. Say you're out uh, on a hike in, in the woods somewhere or you're out golfing. Anything where there's trees. Now, trees seem to be uh, a dangerous place to be for folks out in the open during thunderstorms. What can they do to get away from it? Well, I have to say here's the, here's the dilemma is that if you're outside in the open, you don't want to be in the open because you're the tallest object. Uh, at the same time, you don't want to go under a tree because the tree might be the tallest object. So when it comes right down to it, there isn't any good place to be outside, which is uh, really the message we want people here is there's no safe place outside in a thunderstorm. So you don't want to get yourself in that situation because if you do, there really is nothing you can do to uh, protect yourself. If you are caught outside, the one thing that we do recommend is that you run as fast as you can to get to a safe place because uh, that safe place is the only thing that really is uh, in the end that's going to protect you. If that step leader 
that is the initial part of the lightning strike is coming down right above you. No matter where you are or what you're doing, there's a fairly good chance that you're going to be either killed or injured. So we want people to to watch, look at the forecast, uh, it, take into consideration what they're going to do. Uh, what they're doing is, for example, if you're going on a long hike, you know that you aren't going to be able to get to a safe place. If there are thunderstorms in the forecast, you probably don't want to go. Uh, if you're uh, going for a short hike, uh, just know how long it's going to take you to get to safety. Uh, there are various apps that allow you to monitor lightning activity. You can always watch the sky, look for uh, developing thunderstorm clouds. So there are a lot of things that uh, that you can do to be safe. Uh, I'm a runner. Uh, sometimes we do have runners that are killed by lightning. Uh, if you're going out on a run, you, perhaps you're, for example, if you're training for a marathon, obviously you have to go on uh, a 20 mile run at some point or another. Um, you know, you don't have to run real far. You can do a short loop and do it several times. Just stay close to uh, stay close to safety because when it comes down to it, if you are caught outside, there really isn't anything you can do. Now, how about cars? I, I was told a long time ago that if you're in a car, you're safe because the tires are rubber and they're grounded. Is that is there any merit to that whatsoever? No, there's absolutely no merit to that. Uh, the People think that's true because rubber is a good insulator, but air is also a good insulator and lightning can jump thousands of three feet through air. So that little bit of rubber isn't going to do you any good. The fact of the matter is the car is a good place, a hard top metal vehicle, because if lightning does strike the uh, vehicle, it's most likely going to follow the metal shell around the vehicle, uh, either over or through the tires and into the ground. And I will point out that uh, that myth originated before we had steel belts in our tires. So a lot of times now the uh, lightning will go through the steel belts and uh, it will uh, cause the uh, tires to pop. John, I have one. Um, I, I work a lot with emergency management doing some uh, consultant work. Uh, and there's a big emphasis with us. Um, with large outdoor gatherings, uh, whether it be a sporting event, a concert, a festival, um, something along those lines. H how are you helping emergency managers and, and event planners prepare for, for the possibility of lightning um, with what you're doing? I know you're the warning coordinator meteorologist, so I know that's one of your, your responsibilities is working with emergency managers and stuff like that. So talk to us a little bit about the initiatives you guys are, are doing with those so everyone is aware about lightning. Yeah, well, we have uh, on our website, we have a toolkit for uh, event planners uh, and uh, stadiums because, of course, they have large groups of people and it does take some time. And you were using the right words exactly, which is planning. Uh, you know, you need to have a plan. Uh, first of all, when you're, because what, what you basically want to do is you want to have the people get to safety before the threat is realized at that particular spot. So a couple considerations. One is how long does it take everybody get to get to safety? And in the case of uh, a sports activity or a sports stadium, uh, you have to consider not only the people that are out on the field, but you also have to consider uh, the fans because the stadium has a lot of people in it. 
the workers. Uh, you want them to get to safety too. And that's going to take some time. So in your plan, you have to account for the time it's going to take for those people to get to safety. As I said, uh, lightning can strike 10 miles from a thunderstorm. So you want all those people to be safe before that thunderstorm gets within 10 miles. So that basically means you have to have a way of tracking thunderstorms or knowing exactly how close they're getting. And every thunderstorm has a first lightning strike, so you really have to have somebody monitoring the weather, uh, watching the skies, and recognizing the fact that if you have clouds that are billowing upwards in the uh, atmosphere, that lightning could start right overhead. And lightning starting overhead is probably the one most dangerous thing of all, because uh, a lot of times, uh, people are not looking directly upward. And I know this is a problem in the West where people are climbing mountain peaks uh, in the summertime. They may not be looking directly overhead and may not see the clouds developing uh, uh, right overhead until the uh, lightning starts striking. Uh, some of the Rocky Mountain National Park, we've seen incidents out there uh, and some of the other national parks uh, or even just uh, some of the uh, the hills and mountains that aren't parks out, uh, national parks. So big problem out in the West because thunderstorms do develop fairly quickly. They develop right overhead and people are not looking up. And um, one last question that I have for you is, is, you know, we have, um, we have like a radar scope and, and now starting to get like lightning detection um, programs and software. How reliable are those? And, and would you suggest, you know, emergency managers, event planners, and stuff like that to maybe purchase that uh, or have that uh, on standby that, that they can help, you know, see when storms are developing and, and things like that? Yeah, good question. Uh, as far as, uh, first of all, we don't test any particular equipment, but I, I will say that. I'm sure that uh, some of these systems are better than others. And in, in all cases, uh, I think most of the time you get what you pay for. So uh, I, I think you do have to be very careful in the uh, equipment you get. Uh, look at it, test it, uh, and see if it is working accurately. Uh, it is something that I, I, you know, every one of these tools is helpful. So uh, if you have a large group of people uh, lightning uh, detection of one sort, and I call it lightning detection and notification. Um, are, that would be very important. I think radar is very important, watching the clouds develop on radar, and I think it's very important for uh, for watching the skies. So, uh, you know, I personally, I do not have any, uh, of course, I, ha I see lightning data at work, but personally at home, I don't have any lightning detection, but I don't think you need to necessarily purchase it individually. Uh, if you pay attention to the radar, keep an eye on the sky and listen for thunder and plan ahead. But I do think it's very good for event planners to have it because uh, you know they can they can watch uh, watch the uh, lightning if it's getting closer. The one thing I will add is I would never trust uh, a piece of technology over my eyes and ears. So if the uh, technology is telling you that it's safe and you're hearing thunder or seeing lightning, um, you know, it's a good time to head inside. So, so anyhow, and 
general to answer your question, yeah, I think it's great for uh, event planners. I think it's great for anyone. But, uh, you know, for individuals, you can do a lot just watching your uh, watching the sky and listening for thunder. I have, I have one more, John. Um, we just had a, uh, one of our followers uh, send in a message to me. Um, they're talking about in the summertime when um, – when storms move through and kids are swimming, a lot of uh, local establishments, recreation departments, uh, country clubs, uh, have the kids wait till 30 minutes after the last um, sound of thunder or, or bolt of lightning. Is that something you recommend a 30 minute time frame, or should it be longer? Yeah, no. Uh, in terms of what we, uh, we're, our recommendation is 30 minutes after the last thunder, uh, before returning outside or returning to an activity that would put you in danger. And part of the reasons for that is that uh, charges linger in the thunderstorm cloud. Oftentimes, the anvil hangs backward uh, on the backside of the thunderstorm, and we do see uh, lightning strikes from the backside. So, uh, general rule: 30 minutes after the last uh, thunder is uh, is when you should return outside. I will say that if you're talking about nighttime games. Uh, Sometimes you can see flashes of lightning well off in the distance. Uh, in those cases, it's it's always good to look at the radar or have some sort of lightning detection to know just how far those are away. But if they're uh, more than 10 miles away, uh, chances are good it's safe to go outside. So I know I've gotten asked that question, uh, and people seeing lightning off in the distance, you know, is it should we still stay inside? Well. Uh, in certain parts of the country, you can see lightning for 50, 60 miles away, and in those cases, uh, it's okay to go outside. But uh, if you do hear thunder, it's chances are it's within striking distance. You can only hear that thunder about 10 miles from a from a lightning strike, so uh, so that uh, that is a good rule. If you hear thunder, get inside and stay there for 30 minutes. Yeah, I think that there's there's a lot of uh, lightning detection devices out there, but they're also prone to getting some sort of static charges from power lines or, or other other interference there. But Sky did bring up a great point for lightning detection as a topic because it's ex we're in an exciting stage right now with the new satellite, the GOES-16 satellite, which has a geostationary lightning mapper, the first of its kind, first generation. And we are really looking forward to seeing that data. Tell us a little bit about that and how it can apply to what you do. Well, I'm excited about seeing the data too. And just to explain uh, how it works is the uh, the it has the the satellite the what we call the global lightning mapper uh, has an optical sensor and it looks for little flashes in the clouds. Uh, and when I say a little flash, what it's looking for is a quick change in just the uh, what we consider the luminosity coming off the cloud or how bright the cloud is. So with that, it tells us where a, a flash of lightning is. Uh, so it's it's literally up there, and it's giving us these flashes. It'll be giving us flashes minute by minute. I'm not actually seeing the data yet. I'm looking forward to seeing the data. Uh, they did have a press release that showed a, a sample of the data, which uh, looked pretty remarkable. And then that data will be gridded, and eventually, uh, from what I'm told is uh, it will be made available on the web for people to use. And uh, I think that's going to be a great help because that will be available to everyone. I will say, and, and we talked about lightning detection a little bit, the distinction between a detection system and a notification system. Uh, there's everything from what you said that, uh, that you have some sort of a detector with you 
that might pick up some static from uh, uh, from something else uh, that would give you a false reading to a notification system, which is uh, one of the uh, companies that have uh, detectors all across the country at, that feed into a major uh, center, and then they notify people of when lightning. Either they notify them when lightning is within a certain distance, or they actually provide you the actual charge uh, discharges or the lightning strikes. So uh, at the National Weather Service, we have maps of where the lightning uh, strikes are. We use that information. It helps us quite a bit, uh, especially in those cases where we don't really know if it's actually lightning or just uh, a, uh, a heavy shower. So uh, with a lightning mapper, um, uh, that certainly is going to be uh, some wonderful new data, and we'll use that, uh, and hopefully we're going to make that available to everybody. Very good. I got one last question. I know we're kind of nearing the hour. Is it, uh, how do you feel about, I see the statement from time to time that lightning is one of the least understood phenomena in, in our science, one of the least, I wouldn't say discussed, but the least understood. Do you agree with that, and why? Okay, well, uh, we can look at that on two different levels. One is, is the public level, and they, they see lightning, uh, they hear light, hear thunder, uh, but I don't think they really understand what's going on in the clouds. And, uh, uh, you know, it is, it is a, uh, uh, you know, an interest, for me it's a very interesting subject. But the one thing that, they, that I look at that I don't think they really understand is just how dangerous a nearby thunderstorm is. Uh, I see people taking chances all the time. Um, it's it's one of those things that you recognize people don't want to get wet, uh, so they won't go out in the shower, but they will go out if there's lightning around and they could get killed by lightning. Uh, and getting back to the uh, the other aspect of, of your question um, with uh, uh, and I, 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 you'll have to repeat your question. I've drifted off here a little bit. Yeah, that's okay. Um, I mean, there was a couple of different topics there. I was just saying, is is lightning truly one of the least understood topics in meteorology? Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Uh, and where I wanted to go from that is that uh, with what I've done, I've been to various meetings, and the one thing that uh, you recognize very early is when you get down to the uh, microphysics, what's going on in that uh, little ice crystal. Uh, what's going on in the grapple, what's initiating the lightning, that some of the top scientists in the country that are studying these things, the physicists, they don't agree. So when it comes down to the micro scale, we really don't know what's going on with lightning. I mean, obviously, we know there's a large discharge of electricity. So so anyhow, yet in answer to your question, it, it's understood, uh, misunderstood or not well understood on all different levels. And the level that, that it concerns me most is the safety aspect, that people just don't understand how dangerous it is. Right. And I'd like to eventually have a show on anybody that could shed the light on sprites and other very rare phenomena associated with lightning as well. But uh, let's go to Peter. Peter has, um, he has a couple of myth questions for you he wanted to bring up. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, I know a lot of people ask this question. I'm sure you've heard this before, too. Uh, does lightning actually strike the same place twice? Could that actually happen? Uh, sure. Uh, uh, it happens uh, 
I mean, the Empire State Building gets struck. I think uh, I think it's an average of uh, 13 times a year or something. So uh, any tall object is more likely to be struck. Uh, we've, you know, every now and then you'll see a story about uh, something that has been struck twice. So uh, lightning comes down from the cloud blindly. Uh, it can hit the same place uh, the second time as easily as it did the first. Okay. How about hair standing up? If, if your hair starts to stand up on end in place, does that mean uh, you're getting a positive charge? Yeah, more more likely than not, it uh, means that uh, you're positively charged, and it's okay to be a positive positive person, but not positively charged person. And uh, if if that happens, you uh, you may only have an instant to live, to be quite honest about it. So you you don't ever want to be in that situation. But if you your hair does stand up run as fast as you can to a safe place. I have one. Does uh, lightning always hit the tallest object? Uh, the, the very simple answer to that is no. Um, lightning doesn't look around. As I said, uh, it comes down blindly from the sky. The tendency is to hit the tallest object in the immediate area, and we're only talking about 50 yards around, but not always. Uh, the, the funny thing about lightning is that uh, throughout history, we've always wanted to set rules for lightning. We want to tell people it does this or it does that. Lightning doesn't pay attention to any of the rules. It, it sets its own rules. And uh, we've seen people that have been next to a building and they've been struck. But uh, so anyhow, no, not always. That was a good one. I'm getting ready to tweet out your comment, that uh, quote you just said, lightning doesn't pay attention <laughs> to any rules. <laughs> I don't have any uh, other questions. I think um, I, I think we've covered most of the topics. Unless Scotty or Pete, do you have anything else? No, this is a pretty good show. Very informative. Yeah, very much so, uh, John. Um, if folks want to get a little bit more, we ha we have emergency managers from time to time that watch, or or event planners. Um, if anybody wants to get more information on lightning and and maybe what you guys uh, are doing. Um, to help promote lightning safety, how how could folks get a hold of you guys? Uh, I'm glad you asked because I wanted to bring that up. We have a website that has a, a wealth of information, and I will say that uh, I've contributed some of it. Ron Holly has contributed some. He works for uh, Lysola, which uh, is one of the lightning detection uh, companies, detection and notification. We have Dr. Marianne Cooper that has contributed uh a lot of it, she's a medical resource. It's www.lightningsafety.noaa.gov. So uh, lightningsafety.noaa.gov. And there's just a wealth of information there. All right. And, and I'm going to. Yeah, I've got it up on screen, actually. Yeah, I see it there. And I see Leon, the lightning safety lion, who says, when thunder roars, go indoors. All right. Well, uh, John, any other things? Um, I, I know we, we've kind of hit on a lot of topics. Anything else you want to uh, to cover before we uh, before we sign off? No, I think we've covered a lot. I will say I, I hope everybody that's listening uh, and can help spread the word about lightning safety. Uh, uh, I will say my list is one of those you don't ever want to make, and neither do your friends or relatives want you to be on the list. So. Uh, and, and perhaps that's one thing I should just mention is that 
we, we talk about the uh, lightning fatalities and we showed the list for every person you see there, there's probably been uh, nine more that have uh, been struck last year. So we figure only one out of every 10 are killed. Uh, but for every person that's struck, uh, some of those survivors have to live with uh, lifelong debilitating injuries. Uh, not not very uh, very good injuries at all. They're just uh, very debilitating. Not only do they affect the victim, but they affect the victim's family. So for every person that's struck, there are probably 10 people that are suffering. Yeah, and I, I can kind of speak a little bit to that. Um, one of my fellow meteorologists that I work with, he was a um, fire weather meteorologist for the state of North Carolina. About seven years ago, they were on a wildfire um, waiting for um, one of the helicopters to come um, deposit water on one of the fires, and, and the helicopter couldn't get, couldn't get there because of a nearby thunderstorm. And so they were waiting, and um, it had a positive lightning strike about eight miles out from the main storm and, and hit Chris as well as seven other folks. So, um, you know, And to this day, Chris still has nerve damage in one of his legs. So it is, uh, it's something – uh, if it's not a fatality, it still lingers with you, uh, you know, for the rest of your rest of your life. Right. And if somebody is struck, uh, one of the things that's uh, most important is to check to see if they're uh, breathing, if their uh, heart is functioning properly. Of course, you want to call 911, but uh, it may be necessary to begin CPR right away because one of the uh, problems with many victims is that uh, – a loss of oxygen to the brain uh, just because their heart has stopped. And that leads to uh, a number of different problems if they even survive. Uh, many, uh, I know of a number of survivors, they, they can't walk, they can't talk. Uh, it, it's, it's really very sad, which is why we're trying to prevent it. Very much so. Well, John, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. And maybe uh, maybe we can get you back on next year just to, to remind everyone, you know, lightning is something that, that uh, a lot of people don't take um, don't take serious, and it's always good to have those uh, reminders out there. So we really do appreciate um, you coming on tonight and, and giving us a lot of great information. And we'll definitely direct um, you know a, a lot of our folks to the website that you mentioned about lightning safety and help get the word out. All right. Well, thank you, Scotty, for having me on the show. I enjoyed it, and uh, as I said, everyone stay safe. Thank you, John, and, and we appreciate you coming on and enjoy the uh, the cold weather and the snow up there in Maine. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we get a little more this weekend. <laughs> All right. Well, Shay, I'm going to let you um, kind of talk about next week's show. I know you've uh, really get, been getting a lot of stuff prepared for it. Uh, I'll let you kind of talk about next week, and then uh, we'll wrap everything up. Right. So first, I, I definitely wanted to, to present this. Uh, the National Weather Podcast Month rolls on, so we, we still have – through the end of the month. Uh, so check it out, the, the website here. You can also follow Carolina Weather Group and uh, Weather Brains, Weather Junkies, all the ones that are involved. So uh, lots of great shows coming. I'll go ahead and stop the presentation there. Uh, next week's show, we're going to have Doug Marcy. He's with Coastal Services Management. So he's going to be on to talk about sea level rise. Uh, it's a hot, kind of a hot potato uh, but a very important topic. There's a lot of things going on with, with flood inundation map design, uh, a lot of production of flood zoning uh, from NOAA. He's actually, he actually works right next door to me here in Charleston at the NOAA Coastal Management Services Building. And uh, he's going to be talking about the different 
sort of the different ways in which sea level is being proven that is rising and it's, it's becoming an issue along the coast. So uh, a lot of the DHEC, uh, sort of DHEC entities in, in each state are coalizing and they're sort of coming up with an effort for coastal resiliency. We'll talk about that as well. Um, and uh, we may even touch on the topic of budget cuts for that too. I don't know if we really want to go there, but it is, it is becoming kind of an issue, kind of a topic to discuss. But either way, it'll be a great show to talk about flood flooding in general and um, that all, not, not just flooding from tidal flux, but from storm surge as well. Uh, the, you know, the saying is today's floods are tomorrow's norm. So we're, we'll look and see what sort of projections they have for the next 15 to 20 years and beyond. And we'll go from there. But that'll be a really good show to tune into. Very important, especially if you live along the coastline. Definitely so. So we look forward to having Doug on with us. And then um, the following week, we kind of wrap up uh, National Weather Podcast Month as the Stormfront Freaks. Uh, another uh, fellow uh, podcast will be joining us, uh, several of their members uh, will be joining us, and it's going to kind of be a fun show. We're just going to talk about all things weather, kind of what got them started, what got us started, and just have a, a good time. So, uh, we, again, we appreciate John coming on tonight. Uh, very good information, and uh, looking forward to uh, helping spread the word about lightning safety. That is something, especially in the southeast, uh, all of our listeners and, and those who are watching tonight know uh, we have uh, our share of thunderstorms here in the southeast and, and even up where Peter lives up there in New Jersey. So um, it's always uh, good to uh, to be reminded that lightning is very dangerous and uh, it's nothing to play with. So, John, once again, thank you for coming on. And uh, hopefully we can get you back on uh, sometime in the in the near future to uh, just help continue uh, getting the word out about lightning. So uh, for everyone at the Carolina Weather Group, we hope you have a great rest of the week. Uh, um, make sure you bundle up tonight as it's going to be cold throughout the entire southeast. And then we kind of uh, start a warming trend as we uh, go into your Thursday. And hopefully by next week, uh, we'll be back into uh, those 60s, 70s, and, and maybe some 80s. So everyone have a, a great evening, have a great weekend, and we will uh, see you next Wednesday night. <laughs>